This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast that, as always, aims to focus in on all aspects of our England team. Once again, thank you very much for joining me. And whilst this episode isn't maybe England-centric, it certainly affects us. In a moment, I'm going to be joined by Aidan Smith from threelions.net to chew the fat over all this World Cup every two years talk that you've probably heard about. But before that, as always, just wanted to say thank you very much for all the previous kind words you've put my way uh, on previous episodes. As always, they are available to listen to at threelionspodcast.com or your usual podcast provider if you've missed one or two. Also, hello to you if you are a new listener. It would be great to hear from you too. Feel free to give the show a follow on all the usual social media channels. Just search Three Lines Podcast. You'll find it. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's all there. And coming your way very soon, I hope to be bringing you many more England-focused episodes. Of course, we have our last men's senior Qatar World Cup qualifiers coming up. Of course, we've got Albania at home and San Marino away. And I'll be bringing you the preview to that and also the review episode. The Lionesses. Now, they also know their opponents for next year's European Championships, which, if you didn't know already, is going to be held in this country. Uh, We'll have an episode on that too. Plus, I've got a few more up my sleeve. Now, the World Cup every two years. Are you for it? Are you against it? Feel free to let us know your thoughts on that on the socials. But first... Here is that chat I had with Aidan Smith from freelions.net. Now, World Cup qualification as we know it is almost pretty much over for another tournament. But that is pretty much it for the format that we kind of know it as. Uh, there'll be another format like this for the, the 2026 World Cup. But there is a lot of talk, as you may well know, about changes to the World Cup and its yearly cycle and how it's going to all happen. We don't know. But uh, here to have a chat with me about these proposed changes, uh, he's written a recent article about it, which is very good, is Aidan Smith from 3 Aidan, hello there. Hi, Russell. How are we doing? It's great yeah. to be back. Good. Yeah, you're always welcome back. I'm, I'm very well, thank you. The World Cup, I saw you wrote a, an article about it a, a week or so ago. It's uh, an idea that's been sort of kicking around for a little while now. I had a little dig in a bit deeper, um, and I think it was, it may have been mentioned before, but I think the first real acknowledged mention of it was back in March this year, 2021, where uh, Arsene Wenger gave it a mention. He was appointed by FIFA and um, Gianni Infantino, who's the FIFA president. Um, he appointed him as Chief of Global Development for FIFA 
And he immediately came out with this, a, a change to the World Cup. For anyone that hasn't read your article, give us a brief synopsis of, of what it is. Well, at the moment, it's a very prickly topic. Um, <laughs> it's in the early stages of development. But basically, Arsene Wenger, in his advisory role, has, has come up with a, a plan for um, a World Cup every two years uh, instead of every four years, as it is at the moment. So that would mean a World Cup on years which are currently European Championship years and Olympic years, if, if you know it as that instead. Um, even years. Yeah, even years. We'll go, we'll go for that. But basically his plan is to strip the international calendar down to two international breaks per year. So March and November is what he has proposed. And that would be qualifying and you would be in smaller groups of qualifying, I think groups of four. So you play six games to try and get to a tournament and they would increase the tournament sizes and have a World Cup every two years. Uh, his claim is that it would ensure uh, higher stakes and higher emotion games because there's fewer games to try and get to a tournament. So, you know, every everyone counts in that sort of way. But if I'm being completely honest, I don't really understand. It, so- it sounds as though he's sort of tried to switch it around, which I don't really get why he's done that. It sort of sounds a little bit kind of counterintuitive because when you get to the tournament, it's lower stakes games, lower emotion games, because there are more teams there, because you have more opportunity, because there are more games to win the tournament. At the moment, we've got seven games in a month-long period where you've pretty much got to win, you know, at, at least five of those games. Yeah. To to win and then maybe go through on a penalty shootout or draw one of your group stage games or something like that. And you've got to be on it for seven games. And that, you know, that that's how that's the only way that you can win a tournament. So I don't really buy his argument that it would increase the kind of emotion around the games. I think that that would only be for the qualifying stage. At the moment, what we've got is a qualifying stage where there are issues. I would I would definitely admit that there are issues with the current qualifying stage because a lot of the games, you know, players are coming away from their clubs for a week and they're away from their families. And, you know, with all due respect, you know, John Stones might be coming away from Manchester City to play against Andorra and Albania in, in one month and then go back to his club and not see his family. And and Really, there's not, you know, it's, it's not the most challenging of, of games defensively for a player like John Stones playing for England. Especially when um, maybe he may not even be playing first team for Manchester City at the moment. Again, and that's another factor. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So it seems as though he sort of switched it around, but with in, in the wrong sort of way. I, I don't really, you know, I'm sort of OK with the qualifying stage being a little bit less competitive but then when you get to the tournament, it's really exclusive. It's 32 teams or what's soon to be 48 teams. You know, only only 13 Europeans get to the World Cup. And to be one of those teams is, is you know, you should be proud of that. And only five African teams get to the World Cup or only four or five South American teams get to the World Cup. I mean, you know, incredibly competitive continent in South America. And, you know, you get a situation whereby in 2018, I think it was, Argentina are going through the playoffs having come after Peru in, in qualifying. So all of these nuances to each continent and, and it, it, it's, you know, it's rewarding to get to the World Cup at this point in time. But I feel like Arsene Wenger's plan may kind of take a few steps back from that. And um, I don't know, it, it doesn't seem like the kind of plan which would make 
the real sporting event, the major sporting events, which happen every two, four years, it wouldn't make them any more special, I don't think. It would just make the in-between years a little bit more competitive, which I think is what the Nations League was trying to do. Yep. So the Nations League did very well with that. And, I, and I'm a huge fan of the Nations League. I think it's done fantastically to eliminate friendlies from the international calendar or eliminate most of them anyway. You've sort of got to bite the bullet and go with qualifying. And then once it gets to the tournament, it's incredibly special. I'm trying to be impartial, but I, I, if I'm honest, I'm really not on board with this plan at all. I think there are some sports or some events where, you know, increasing the frequency of, of the major events is absolutely you know perfect idea women's football for example i would you know yesterday i would introduce a, a world cup every two years because the game needs to grow you know it, it would build a fan base build recognition build credibility for the sport which is only really now coming into conversation i think you know 2019 world cup for the women's was um record viewing figures 47 percent of the uk population tuned in to that world cup in 2019 2015's viewing was doubled from the Euros in 2013, which is pretty remarkable, you know, an extra million at that point. And then from 2015 to 2019, an extra 9 million, which is incredible for, you know, for the, for the semifinal against, against the USA. So for women's football, I would, I would absolutely be on board with a world cup every two years, but you know, that's partly down to the way the women's calendar works. It's a far less congested calendar with the women's super league. And I just don't, I, I think there are problems in the men's game, but I, I don't think it can really be solved by a World Cup every two years. And I don't think it helps anyone. Yeah. I I mean, as, a, as an Arsenal fan myself, and I remember obviously when Arsene Wenger came into to Arsenal and stamped his authority on the club and indeed the Premier League and, and English football, he, he was very much sort of, Premier League focused, um, sort of domestic football focused. And I kind of think if this was to be, if he was to be in this position now as a manager of a Premier League club, if he was still manager of Arsenal, then he wouldn't be keen on this idea. I, It's a very strange thing I find for him to say, but I guess this is the job he's taken on and, and he's starting to look at it in in different ways. You, we mentioned about the qualifying being in two months. Since it was, did we say it was like potentially November and March or October and March, something like that? To kind of take it to, to compare the qualifying at the moment, if we if we take the last UEFA World Cup qualifiers as the benchmark, because I'm like the current qualifiers has been a bit disjointed by COVID and the Euros. Looking back, we had. An international break, September 2016, we played one game. October 2016, we played two. November 2016, we played one. March 2017, we played one. June 2017, we played one. And then September, it looks like we played two. And October, we played two. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven qualifying breaks, windows to be then squeezed down to to two months. It would be a better opportunity for like Gareth Southgate to have everyone together for a longer period of time because he often says, oh, I, I only have the players for X amount of days and then once that final game is played, they're gone, they're off. 
um, you can't really digest that last game. Um, so it would give him a longer period of time to work on players, tactics and that sort of thing. Um, and, and we might see a, a different side to things. But you do wonder, though, how would club sides take to this? Do, do club sides shut down for a month? Does the Premier League shut down for a month? I guess it would. It, it seemed it would disjoint everything, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I think there are there are so many things to pick up on here. I mean, you just you just spoke about the 2016 uh, qualifying for the World Cup in 2018, wasn't yeah. it? which took place in 2016, 2017. There were seven international breaks there. I mean, they did do a very, very good job of solving that because that is too many. And when you're playing, when you're going away with your international break and being away from your families, and you're only playing one competitive game alongside a friendly against. <laughs> like Slovenia or, or, you know, or something like that, that's really, you know, that you're going to get players who are going to end up feeling that's just really not worth my time at all. So they did fantastically when the Nations League was introduced in uh, autumn 2018 to condense qualifying down to one calendar year. So qualifying for the Euros, which we just had, was done completely in 2019. England had four international breaks, each consisting of two games, Eight games to qualify, perfect. And they had the Nations League semi-finals in June in between. Now that 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 for me was the perfect scenario because you get qualifying done in one calendar, but equally you're not having to face the problematic uh, situation of two international breaks per year, which I believe is just completely impractical. Because let's think let's think about it. if you're take it back ten years if you're Sweden. And who's your best player? Zlatan Ibrahimovic. But by, by some way, you know, yeah, yeah. a lot. Sweden had a very good team, but but by some way, Zlatan was the best. Yeah. If Zlatan Ibrahimovic is injured in March, and you've got to play four qualifying games out of your six to get to the World Cup, yeah. and he's injured. If you're Egypt and Salah's injured in November, when this is proposed to be half of the qualifying campaign. If you're Gabon and Aubameyang is injured, you know, these countries where they've got, you know, a freak talent that is just so far removed from the rest of the team in terms of quality. You know, Armenia with Mkhitaryan a few years ago. These countries are going to really struggle. And there's no other way to say it other than that is unfair. That is really unfair if this player gets injured, that your country has to suffer for the next two years because of one month of, you know, a concentrated international camp where you you've got you, you're without this player and you've got to play huge teams Egypt are going to be playing the Ivory Coast Ghana Cameroon Algeria in these final pool of qualifiers because Africa as we know they they do sort of like a pre-qualifying they do a few stages yeah so if if it coincides with the final round and you're looking good and then you lose your best player Mohamed Salah arguably the best player in the world currently that's just unfair, completely unfair. And if you look at UEFA as well, with the proposal, you're looking at 14 qualifying groups, you know, 55 teams in Europe, and they're saying groups of four. Okay, that's 14 qualifying groups. Now, what that means is any of the top seeds, France, Belgium, England, Italy, Germany, all, all of these teams, the next best team that these guys are going to face is going to be, you're looking at a Romania or a Greece or a Slovakia. Almost like a, a pot three team, as it were. A pot three, at, you know, as it is now, exactly. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Scotland, Wales, you know, these kind of teams. I said pot three, um, not pot four. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> controversy. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, this plan for what Arsene Wenger refers to as high stakes, high emotion games to get to a World Cup, it's it's just not in the end. You know, there's no other way of saying it. At the moment, we are in a situation where we could be drawn with Poland or we could be drawn with Denmark or, you know, Ukraine in a, in a qualifying group. We could, you know, I, I remember in qualifying for 2014 World Cup, we had Ukraine, Poland and Montenegro. In that group, we won six games and we drew four. And that was incredibly competitive because I think by the end of it, you had all four of those teams within six points of each other, I think it was. Yeah. Which is remarkable, which is something that you, you, know, you won't find with this new system. You absolutely will not find that. And these high stakes games, as they're, as they're said to be, will not end up being quite as, as high stakes as Arsene Wenger might, might think they will be. Because England's hardest game would be away to Romania. And if you've got to play your best team for Romania, at the moment, if we're in an international break of, say, three games, and we've got, I don't know, Albania, Poland and Romania all in one, all in one qualifying campaign, you're not going to be playing the best 11 for the Romania game. You're going to be doing that for the Poland game. So the Romania game, England are going to be playing some second string players, some of the of the more regular players. And England will probably win that game mm. because even some of the players who would be on the bench usually will be perhaps better than some of these Romania players. So England will still come away with a win there. And if we're now saying, OK, Romania, Greece, these are the best teams that we're going to play. So we're going to put forward our best 11 for these games. That means that we're going to be winning 4-0 or 3-0 in, in our hardest game. And really, it doesn't get high stakes at all, unless you are a team such as San Marino or a team such as Moldova. Because I'm assuming, you know, at that point, you know, you only have a few games and, and there is a, a tiny chance that you could get a win. Yeah. There is a chance that you could get a win. I think for the higher end of teams, it's just not quite what Arsene Wenger wants it to be, I don't think. I don't yeah. think that this plan is practical in terms of making international football more competitive and, and actually keeping international football alive, making a case for the international game because there's no denying that the money in the club game is making the international game an inconvenience to some fans, which I certainly don't like because I've, I've grown up as probably more of an international football fan and it, it feels as though the international game should be the pinnacle. It should be what we work for. It should be the top of the game. Yeah. You know, but if it's not going that way, which it's not, I don't think this is going to solve that at all because, okay, let's, let's look at the Champions League. The Champions League is every year. Now, we, we saw the viewing figures for, for the Euros this summer was through the roof. Yeah. You know, pe- people who don't even like football are getting so involved because of the atmosphere and, you know, the sense of anticipation around the nation. Does the Champions League bring the nation together? Does it, does it bring fans together I, in the same way? I don't, I don't think it does. No. And it's because it's yearly. So the infrequency of a World Cup or a European Championships is what makes it so special. You know, some some people count the sleeps until Christmas. I, personally, I count the sleeps until the next World Cup. <laughs> so, you know, and at some point, the number of sleeps is going to be 800 days or 700 days. But I'm cool with that because when it gets to it, it's just so much more worth it. You've waited for so long. For me, that, that that's a better bargain than having the World Cup every two years. And, you know, you're, you're looking at perhaps even more than 48 teams 
perhaps even double the teams that we get at the moment in the World Cup. Yeah. No point does that shout to me that high stakes games or high emotion games because you've got second chances. It's almost like a second serve to get to get to the next round. And yeah. Paul has not been like that traditionally, and I don't, I don't, I'm not really on board with that plan. Um, I, I can totally see what you say, but I'm trying to play devil's advocate, I guess. I mean, you mentioned the likes of Abamyang at, at Gabon, Salah at Egypt. If the World Cup was to be potentially every two years, they would stand a chance of or maybe a double their chance of getting to a World Cup at some point in their career. Uh, I mean, because to be fair, I don't think Aubameyang is ever going to taste a World Cup as much as he may deserve to. Um, but if it's every two years, then he gets gets a chance at having a go every two years. Then there's also, I mean, like like yourself, I'm very much happy to wait a period of time for a World Cup. I remember... 1990 and being involved in the 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 emotion of it all albeit I was very much sort of this is very new to me what is it I love it when's it coming round again 1994 oh that's a long way to wait oh no we didn't even qualify for 1994 (laughs) I have to wait another four years for 98 but I guess I was I was still engrossed in 1994 even though there was a time difference obviously being in the states I I remember they were it was all disjointed and there were times when I couldn't see games I probably clashed with school or something like that when it was during the day or they were late for whatever reason but every two years you can spread it we can have it one year and that caters for the European audience. The World Cup is gonna has got to go to Australia and New Zealand at some point. But if it goes there after it being in England, then it caters for the Asian area. And we're not just talking really the people that go to the games. It's it's TV audience really. It's the the TV viewers that are gonna where FIFA are are gonna make their money. And I think ultimately that's that's the whole reason behind all of this. But every two years, it gives it to like a different time zone and makes it easier for those people in that area to watch is something that I'm I'm thinking they may be sort of angling at. I mean, personally, I'm not on board with it as, as, you, as you are. You mentioned the higher stakes of a qualifying and having all these different ways of, qualifying for a World Cup, being higher stakes, you then potentially get to a World Cup, let's say 2026, which has already been announced as being in America, Canada and Mexico. That's a 48-team tournament. They've increased it from next year's Qatar tournament from being 32 to 48 teams the following year. You've gone higher stakes qualifying to then come down to a World Cup of 48 teams where there's going to be a lot of diluted games. Yeah, absolutely. There's no, there's no winners in football. You know, there's always losers in football. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is what I was saying. I don't, I don't think anyone is really, if you, if you put it as I'm about to, no one's going to be on board with higher stakes qualifying and lower stakes tournament. No one is going to be on board with that. I don't even think Venk is on board with that. I just think that he believes 
that it will make the tournament better because, you know, inclusive and all of that. But I would argue that for if you're, let's say, DR Congo, who are always kind of on the verge, Mali, on the verge of getting to a tournament, I would argue it makes it more rewarding if you've got there in the current system. If, if they just increase the number of teams to get there and then you get to the tournament and you do all this preparation for the tournament, you pick you're the manager, you know, you pick your 23, you're really happy with your 23 and you've picked some cool um, set piece routines to, to, to try out in the tournament, try and get an edge up on the competition. I don't know how it's going to work. 48 teams, probably groups of three, I would imagine, uh, or maybe groups of four where they bring a third place. To, and you go out within two games. Was it really worth it overall? I, I know that the, the, the atmosphere of going to a tournament, but I would argue that in the current system, if you get to a tournament, you've got three games to prove yourself. And, and, and the likelihood is, you know, that with the, with the way that the group stage works, you know, even if you've lost your first two games, the shackles are off for the third get third game. You might get a win. You might come yeah. home with a win for your nation. And it might be the best thing that's happened to your country in the last 10, 15 years. Whereas I think, if, you know, if you're increasing it to 48 teams and, and if the World Cup becomes every two years, then I'm assuming it would be even more teams. Then it's not quite as rewarding, I wouldn't say. I think that, look, I'm all in favour of football progressing. I don't think football should stand still, first of all. I don't think that's helpful for anyone. Football should progress with the times because times are changing. Times are moving on. And I am in favour of certain, you know, there are certain things that I look at in the football calendar and I think, yeah, that's not, that's really not ideal. That's not ideal. You know, for example, after a major tournament and the players get 10 to 15 days break and then they're back with their teams and they're off on an Asian tour to try and increase their fan base. A lot of people hate the September, October, November international breaks because it's stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. You know, and there's a lot of traveling there and a lot of times away from your family. The clubs are still paying your wages. They're only getting you for about three quarters of the time. So I understand that that is something that needs to change as well. And then you look at the other end of the season, uh, June. So, it, you know, the Champions League final can clash with the Nations League semifinals. And that's not something that I'm completely on board. I think, you know, that needs thinking through because if you're a player like Virgil van Dijk, if you're Raheem Sterling, Cristiano Ronaldo... There is a, you know, it's not unlikely that you could be in the semi-finals of the Nations League and in the final of the Champions League. Yeah. And I remember back to 2019, where there was a real issue with that because Liverpool and Spurs are in the Champions League final, and while they're playing the final, the rest of the England players and the Holland players are already on international duty up with the with the squad, and they're training in a in a group of 12 or 13 because the rest of the players are off in the you know, Virgil van Dijk and Jeannie Wijnaldum, two of Holland's best players, they're, they're with Liverpool and they are going to arrive two days before or, you know, I think it might have even been a day before the game against England. And, and you know, England are without Harry Kane, they're without Jordan Henderson, Deli Ali, Eric Dyer, who at the, at the time was a very important player. In the game, England, Gareth Southgate opted to not start any of the players who had been involved in the Champions League final, which affected England's chances in this Nations League semi-final that they prepared for for over six months. So a midfield three of Fabian Delph, Ross Barkley and Declan Rice, who at the time was only on two caps. So at that point, you know, and England got completely overrun in the midfield. Frankie de Jong was absolutely superb and he had Martin Jeroen and Jeannie Wijnaldum next to him. They completely overran England and England capitulated and 
fell on their knees quite literally, I think, for one of the goals. Uh, and, you know, so, so there are points in the calendar when I think there needs to be reform. Yeah. And I'm all in favour of things changing. But for me, if you, if you think about, the, you know, the fans, you know, like like like, like we are, you know, as, as much as we might have other involvement with football, we are we're all also fans when yeah. it comes around, you know, with you, Arsenal and, and England and same with me. And, um, you know, when it comes to it, we are totally engrossed in a major tournament, totally engrossed in it. And then you think about the people who are not interested in football. Well, even, even you know, the international tournament is fantastic for them as well because they're not into football, but they feel a sense of belonging in the game, which they've never felt before. You know, going along with girlfriends or boyfriends to the pub or mums and dads, mates, yeah. you know, feeling that community with the pub. That's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. That's what football's about. It's supposed to bring the nation together. If we have a World Cup every two years, we have points where the calendar is overlapping or we have a disillusionment with international football. Suddenly this is not so strong anymore. The main point that I'm making is that the World Cup every two years is less competitive. Suddenly it feels like it's not as exclusive. It's not as special because it's not as rare. It's not as infrequent anymore. And maybe the effect on a nation of being in the World Cup whether it be for three games or for seven games, the effect on the nation is suddenly not quite so strong. Dare I say it, a bit of a chore? Well, yeah, absolutely. If it, if it becomes that often and people are becoming so in favour of, of the club game over the international game, then you know you risk what we have with kind of international breaks at the moment. Now, I know they're not as important, but well, they are important because you have to get to the tournament, but they're not as exciting as entertaining when you're mm. playing qualifiers but but you know people get very frustrated with international breaks at the moment and you know what i was talking about with september october november people get very very frustrated so yeah absolutely if you start doing that to major tournaments what's left for international football yeah one thing we haven't really touched on is uefa are very much against this idea where does the qualifying for the european championships squeeze in and the European Championships tournaments in itself that would be every alternate year then would it or every odd year every, every odd year exactly yeah. and, and you'd be doing that as soon as the World Cup is over you're preparing for the Euros because the, if if the World Cup becomes every two years the Euros are the uh, UEFA are going to get on board with that and they're going to go hang on a sec we want a tournament every two years as well so yeah. we're going to take the odd years so because you can't have a World Cup and a Euros in the same summer no so it becomes a major tournament every single year. And this goes back to what I was talking about with the Champions League. The Champions League is, is nowhere near as special as, as a Euros or a World Cup or an African Cup of Nations or a CONCACAF Gold Cup, you know. It's nowhere near as special. So where do you fit in these qualifiers? You've got to be able to get to the tournament, which is why Wenger is saying, okay, let's get fewer qualifiers. Okay, I understand that. Maybe, he, you know, we even go ahead with the March and November international breaks. Okay, six games to qualify. You've yep. got six games to make it to the tournament. Then you get to the tournament and it's a huge long tournament, which is way over a month because you're playing far more games than you would be doing in the current system. The players then have to go 
on a holiday. They need a break. They have to have a break before pre-season. They then get back to pre-season after having 10 or 15 days break. After two months of intense football, they're getting back to intense football because they're going on an Asian tour or you know an African tour. And then they're coming straight back. You know, suddenly they're into the league season. And they once they finish that two-week break, or even, even less than two weeks after the major tournament, they're back in it in probably or, or early August. Yeah. And they're back in that zone. And they know that they're not going to get another break until late July next year. That's tough. It is tough. It, yeah. Absolutely tough. And you think about if, if we're going to have extended periods of international break, that means that the club season is going to stretch out. So at the moment, you finish the club season in May. You don't stop playing football till the end of July. If you've got a major tournament, if you've got Nations League, then you don't stop until June, mid-June. So you're going on for at least a month anyway, possibly two months, which makes the, you know, the break for players very, very short. And, and that takes its toll. Yeah. Carl Walker came out uh, a couple of months ago and said, look, I, I feel like I've been playing a game every three days since I was 25. That's not on. Is not on. Uh, he's absolutely right. He's got a Champions League on a Thursday. He's then got to get back to the Premier League for the Sunday and then a midweek game under the lights as well. And he's got that on repeat every single week, 24-7 on top of another 24-7 on top of another 24-7. And there is no break until you get those 10 days, 10 days in a year when you get a break. Or if you're not on international duty, then you make, you know, you get to go home to your family in international breaks but that is not enough you don't have a winter break in England they do it in some of the other leagues I know that the Eredivisie is very strong on and it, uh, you know a winter break they stop at uh, I think about the 20th of December and they don't oh. start again until mid-January Bundesliga too in Germany they they stop Bundesliga absolutely yeah I mean we're talking calendar at the moment obviously the next World Cup in Qatar will be November, December, which has already thrown or is going to throw a spanner in the works for the Premier League because they don't have this break. It was possibly throw a spanner in the work for the the Dutch League and the German League because their players will now be playing. But then going forward, if we are having a World Cup every two years, then obviously means that's going to be around the world. And if you take the, the Qatar... World Cup as an example, they moved it to November, December because it's supposedly cooler. Now, this would probably be the same for if the World Cup was to go to to Saudi, who again were one of the nations that were keen to to put this idea out there. Obviously, heat will will be a factor if it was to go to 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 Australia, New Zealand. Again, the, the possibility of changing it in the calendar um, there could be rainy seasons in in various parts of the world where they decide to have it and it would change the the time in within the year that it would be played it's it's another one of these factors that i think it, we don't need this additional problems or trouble yeah well you mentioned there about domestic league seasons and that's going to cause a real problem like you said in the bundesliga in the eredivisie as well their their winter breaks are going to be completely interrupted by qatar then you also think about, okay, well, not every continent qualifies in, for a major tournament in the same way that UEFA does. They don't have one stage of qualifying, which is just one big group. You play like a, a, a league and you get to the top of the league mm. at the end of these eight to 10 games. And that's that. In South America, they've got 
qualifying games, I think, in January or February. In Asia, I think they've got February. So all of these problems are going to have to have some sort of solution. And if if we are starting to uh, expand the pool of host countries that we can have for a major tournament, like you say, it could happen in a, a country where we're going to have torrential rain in the summer. It could happen. So, you know, so then you've got to move that yeah. because you don't want flooding because the stadiums don't have roofs on them. And, you know, all of these different factors that are coming into play or, you know, you've got to do it in Qatar like we have to, because in the summer it will be 45 degrees, perhaps even more. Well, that's unplayable. Yeah. Even the Brazil World Cup, there were quite a few people talking out about how it should not be held in the summer. England versus Italy. I don't know if you remember the 2014 World Cup, the opening game, England versus Italy in Manaus, in the in the middle of the rainforest. I think it was something like 90% humidity. Yeah. Almost unplayable. Almost unplayable. You could barely breathe in that kind of environment. Let alone you know, run for 90 minutes. Exactly. And I remember they had three different drinks breaks in the second half. Right. So they stopped every 15 minutes in the second half. Oh, or, t- or 10 minutes or so. And, you, you know, all of these complications, is it, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? If, if it is, then I think we need to straighten out this plan and figure out something alternative. You know, Arsene Wenger's saying, look, I'm fine for criticism on my plan. I've got nothing invested in this. I'm 71 years old. But if you're going to criticise me, come up with something better. Yeah. If you've got something better, talk to me. If not, you know, take a look and, and, and sit, look at the facts, look at the calendar. I, th- I think someone needs to start looking at the calendar. It feels like no one is because you've got to take into account the Dutch league, the German league. A lot of these players are going to be going to these tournaments. The percentage of German players in the Bundesliga is very high compared to, you know, the percentage of English players getting actual game time in the Premier League or, you know, same in France yeah. or in the in the championship. So, uh, you know, a lot of these factors are, are coming into play and there needs to be, uh, you know, a clear plan for how we're going to tackle winter breaks or February qualifiers, January qualifiers. Like I said, you know, there is an issue with the September, October, November qualifiers and all of these things are going to have to be figured out. And if we are taking it year by year where we have, you know, OK, one year we're going to have to have a winter tournament because this team just won, you know, the the, the race to be host or one year we're going to have to have it in April because this is the only period of the year where it might not rain, you know, whatever stuff is going to have to be sorted out for this. Someone's going to, someone in the suit is going to have to be making these decisions. And I don't think it's worth it for the football. So disconnected right now, the fans, club managers, the, you know, the, the actual institutions like, you know, UEFA and, and FIFA, you know, these making decisions. I don't think the clubs as well have any kind of credibility after the, Super League deal, which was, yeah. you know, very, 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 very close to becoming a reality in our calendar, not six, eight months ago. So, you know, there's there's no real connection between any of the different parts of football at the moment. So there's no trust, which means that someone's got to regain that. And if we're messing around with league seasons, we're messing around with the international calendar, that's only going to get worse. Yeah. I don't think this plan for a World Cup every two years, it will inevitably happen in the next, you know, but, but by 20 years' time, there will be a change to the frequency of World Cups. You know, there's going to be so much pressure in the end that, that something will happen. But I don't think now is the right time. With the lack of trust and the lack of connection between every different 
part of, of what makes football work, I don't think is the right time. I think you need to just hang on a sec because the introduction of the Nations League as well is, in, is playing around in my mind. And I'm thinking, OK, we just got used to that calendar. Only once have we had, and, you know, and COVID interrupted that as well. We, only once have we had the actual structure of what qualifying should have been for a major tournament, which was one calendar year. And that was 2019. And it feels like we're not going to have that again until qualification for 2024, the Euros. So let's just ease off a little bit. Yeah. Kind of, to me, it's like, it's not broken. It just needs a few tweaks here and there. It doesn't need a hammer taken to it. It doesn't need anything major reconstruction. It doesn't need major surgery. It just needs just needs an MOT, really, doesn't it? Just maybe change the tyres. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> well, as you say, I mean, I, I think I'm inclined to agree with you that it, chances are it will change. It's just how they do it, and and hopefully they uh, they do it with with fans in mind, um, because ultimately, we've as as your piece that you wrote about on threelions.net, it is in danger of of losing the supporters, which are the very much the the soul of the game, really. Well, football doesn't work without the fans. If you, if you introduce a World Cup every two years now, I can assure. <laughs> many many fans will be lost yeah. and I, I you know I, I take it through you know the whole the whole process in my article and it's really illogical and impractical and you know if, if there are proposals for tweaks to be made to Wenger's plan because I don't think it's a a plan that's been ironed out entirely if there are you know amendments to be made then let's talk about it but <laughs> But at the moment, it's just not the right time. It's it's not the right time because the trust is not there, and the fans are on breaking point with international football. They're, it's it's such an inconvenience and a frustration to club fans. Okay, and I, and I can't relate a hundred percent because of my love for the international game. And there are few, few people like me now who are you know probably more towards the international game. I have complete love for the club game as well. Mm. You know, it's what it's what keeps us ticking along. You know, a, a league season, you can't beat a league season where you've got so many games to become the best. And if you win that league season, you truly are the best because you've just played 38 games to get there and no one was better over those 38 games. I mean, there's no, no better pool of evidence for how good you are. So a huge fan of the club game. And there are inconveniences with the international game that need to be straightened out. But a World Cup every two years is not right now. Hayden, thank you very much for your time. As I say, that article that you wrote is on threelions.net. Go and, go and have a read of it. It's, it's a good read by, uh, by Aiden. No doubt we will we'll speak again. We've got another international break coming up. <laughs> and, uh, and then maybe we'll, uh, we'll touch base again as we look back over the year in uh, maybe late December time, if you're up for that. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for having me on, Russell. You're more than welcome. Thank you to Aidan there. As always, you can catch up with him on Twitter at Aidan27Smith. That's Aidan, A-I-D-A-N. And that'll do, I think, for this episode. I hope you can join me for the next one. So until then, cheers. Cheers.